Every great team needs to start with a farm team. It needs to start with a group of young individuals who are so talented that the scouts actually go out to find this talent everywhere. They look in junior highs and high schools and colleges. They look for that player that has something special. They look for that player that really can play the game and that has promise, that has a future. Well, we as parents, we as adults, we always have to look for those young people, the children, and we have to raise them up. From when they're younger, we have to raise them up in the Lord. We have to see the talent, the seed of greatness that lies within them. We've got to be able to recognize it. We've got to be able to help them to, to see it themselves. We've got to be able to help them to achieve everything that God wants them to achieve. And that starts when they're young. We need to empower them. We need to teach them how to play in the big leagues. We need to teach them how to work through the struggles and trials of their life. We need to teach them how to fight against the enemy. And we need to teach them how to be winners, how to hit home runs, how to be a part of a team, how to be a winner when it comes to the home game. How is everybody doing? Turn to your neighbor and say, how you doing? Yeah, it's great to see everybody in God's house. I've actually been away for almost two weeks. I uh, missed one Sunday, and uh, I, had the, I had an awesome time. I had the privilege of going to Israel, and I want to encourage every Christian, every Jewish person who believes in the Messiah, that you should put together a bank account and you should make it the Jewish or Israel pilgrimage fund. Even if you put $10 a week away, but everyone should save up enough money to go to Israel in your lifetime. That's got to be on your priority. Don't make it a bucket list thing because a bucket list thing is kind of like, yeah, before I die. No, 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 no. Before you live, you should go to Israel um, because it's an amazing place in the world, and it's where we, we have our roots. And, you know, everybody told me that if you go to Israel, the Bible will come alive and your life will never be the same. And I have to tell you, the Bible has come alive and my life will never be the same. Every time you read something in the Scripture... Every time you read parts of the gospel, now I know exactly where Jesus was. One of the interesting things was is we had Jewish guides. Uh, Israel doesn't permit uh, to have Messianic Jews doing the, the guides. So they're authentic Jewish guides. And I asked the Jewish guide, do you believe that Jesus Christ existed? He said, absolutely 100% Jesus Christ existed. And we went to places where Jesus stood, where Jesus taught. Uh, I think one of my favorites was when we went to the Mount uh, of Olives and uh, we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And you could see Jesus actually, you know, when you think of um, the scriptures and you read the stories in the Bible, 
And so often you put it in the context of what you understand, you know, and if you understand little and know little, then you just think it's kind of a garden somewhere, but it's not a garden somewhere. It's actually right across from the Kidron Valley, right across from the temple. And Jesus, when he said, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done, he's literally looking at the temple. He sees the sacrifices that are going up to God, and he sees Golgotha, the place where he's going to be crucified. He sees it all happening right in front of him. So I would, I would recommend every one of you to pray and ask the Lord to, to grant you the opportunity to go to Israel. It will change the way you read the Bible. Hopefully, it'll change the way you live your life. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 2, verse 6. And by the way, it wasn't a vacation at all. It was actually like going to college. We were actually, every single spot that we went to in Israel, we had a 30 to 45-minute seminar on the site. And we, we were taking notes and reading books, and it was amazing. We were on the go. We lost three days, three nights of sleep. Uh, traveling from different places. And so I'm a little tired and I don't have my dancing shoes on today, but I'm going to bring it as best as I can. Judges chapter 2. After Joshua had finished, dismissed the Israelites, he went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. And they followed and worshipped various gods of the people around them. They arose the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and Ashtoreths. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of the raiders who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. And whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them they were in great distress. This, this morning, I want to continue our s- series entitled The Home Game. And last week, Pastor Tony did a wonderful job. Didn't he do a wonderful job? I was actually watching from Israel. I was watching the sermon, and he did a phenomenal job as he talked about the home game healing. But this week, I want to speak to you about building a lasting dynasty, building a winning team that will last for generations to come. Now, when we think about a dynasty, we think of two things. First thing we think about is a kingdom. And one of the things that we learned when, when, we, when we were in Israel was that before Israel actually took over the land of Jerusalem, it was called Canaan. And the Canaanites lived in the land of Canaan, and they were descendants of Noah. If we know anything about the story of Noah, we know that actually Noah had several sons, and one of the sons, Canaan, he was a wicked man, and as a result of that, he actually gave birth to a wicked people, a wicked generation called the Canaanites. They were horrible. They were horrendous. They sacrificed their children to gods. They were vicious people. 
That's one of the reasons why God actually sent the Israelites into the Canaan land was to actually pass judgment upon the Canaanites because they did wicked and abominable acts. And unfortunately, while the Israelites went into the land, the Bible says that they did not drive out all the inhabitants, but they co-inhabited with some of the Canaanites. And as a result of that, the Canaanites became a thorn in their flesh for many years. And the Bible says that after Joshua had died, during his lifetime, Joshua made sure that the fathers taught their children the word of God. During Joshua's lifetime, Joshua made sure that the people of Israel learned how to pray and seek the Lord for themselves. He made sure that he passed down, as the Bible says in Joshua chapter 24, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And he was talking about generations to come. But the Bible says after Joshua died and after his contemporary died, there arose another generation, the Bible says, that did not know God. They didn't have a personal relationship with God, nor did they know the stories about God. Someone didn't help them to understand who God was, and someone didn't understand that it was so important to pass on from generation to generation the stories of God. And one of the things that really struck me while I was in Israel is that the Israelites, they believe in passing the story on to their children and their children. Why? Because it wasn't only about knowing God. It was a matter of survival. That's why they had many children. And that's why they passed the stories on to their children because they recognized they were only one generation away from extinction. And the Bible says, now there's another generation that arises that doesn't know God. Now, we think about dynasties. We think about the Canaanite dynasty, and it was actually about 2,200 uh, 2, years long. It was a long, strong dynasty, but they got toppled by the Israelites. And now we think about dynasties, we also think about sports dynasties. I, I love sports, and, and baseball has some sporting dynasties. Boston Red Sox actually dominated baseball for 16 series, seasons from 1903 to 1918. After that, they went flat for a long time. I love going to the stadium and hearing the Yankees say, 1918, to remind the Boston Red Sox that they haven't been such a great team since 1918. Now, they've won a couple of World Series since then. But St. Louis Cardinals, they actually dominated and became a dynasty in 1942 to 1946. And the Cincinnati Reds, they were called the Big Red Machine because they dominated baseball and they became a dynasty from 1970 to 1976. The Oakland Athletics from 1971 to 1975 were known as the Mustang Gang because they won so many World Series in a row. But there is a certain team in baseball. There is one team in all of sports that actually had the greatest sports dynasty of all. Now, I know that you've guessed what it is, um, and uh, it's only one team. May I remind you that it is not the New York Mets, um, uh, but there is one team that has had 
the greatest dynasty in all of sports. They have won actually 20. Let me say it again to remind everybody just how many they have won. They have won 27 World Series, and they are nothing more than the New York Yankees. Um, so, um, so just in case you needed to know that history, I wanted to, to give you that history. And in the book of Joshua, we read the Israelites faced great opponents and they were defeated many times. They had a dynasty. As long as Joshua was alive, they had a dynasty. And as long as Joshua was alive, there was no one who could stand against them. But something happened to end their victorious run, their, their dynasty. The Bible says after Joshua died, there arose another generation, another generation that did not know God, nor did they know the power and the stories of God. Someone failed to tell them the stories of God. Someone failed to raise up another generation generation of players and as a result of that the Bible says wherever they went they were losers they couldn't stand against their enemies in fact the Bible says that God was so angry with them because of their sin that he literally allowed his enemies or their enemies to destroy them at every stage at every time every game they were losers and Judges chapter 2 tells us that wherever they went whatever they tried to do they were once champions they were once the best. They were once feared. They were once confident and bold, and they were winners. But now there arises another generation that's depressed. They're discouraged. They're disinterested in winning. They're a losing generation. They're a generation that everyone wrote off. And the truth is, whether we like it or not, whether we want to admit it or not, some people are, are writing off this generation. They used to call it the X generation, then they call it the Y generation, now they call it the Z generation, but I want to call it generation next, because I don't care what the world says, I believe that God is going to raise up a generation, next generation of winners, a next generation of thinkers, a next generation of God lovers, a next generation of world changers, a next generation of overcomers. Now you might say that it looks like we're losing the battle for this generation. But I want you to know today that in every generation, God, he raises up a remnant. God always keeps a remnant of young people that will not bow their knee to bail. God always has a remnant of young people who say, I'm going to go against the tide. I'm not going to believe what the world is going to tell me. And I'm going to live for God with all my heart, soul, and strength and mind. God always has a Joshua generation. And I'm believing today for a Joshua generation to be risen up again to say, yes, we're going to change my world. That's pretty good for somebody that's on jet lag. See, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to choose to believe that this is Generation X. I'm going to choose, choose to believe that it's Generation Next, that they will rise above mediocrity. See, I don't know about you, but I, I believe with all my heart that God is going to use my children in great ways. And now that I'm a young grandfather, 
I believe that God's going to use my little Ellie in great ways. Okay, listen, I, I often remind you that when my children were younger, I would speak life over to my children, and I would tell them constantly, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. And they'd say, oh, Daddy, why can't you wait? What can't you wait for? And I'd always say, I can't wait to see the great things that you're going to do in your lifetime. And man, I'm so blessed to be able to see my daughter travel around the world doing missionary work. And now she's a nurse. And I wrote her a little note yesterday and I said, Janine, never forget, every good gift comes from above. You're a nurse because God made you a nurse to bring healing to hurting people. You keep doing what you're doing. And I'm so proud of Julia, who's a godly mother who's given her life. She stepped out of ministry for a little while because she knows that her greatest ministry of all is her little daughter. And she spends countless hours with her little daughter praying with her and reading to her and instilling God into her little daughter because she knows the most important job in her life, the most important task is to pour into her daughter. And, uh, and my little daughter, Jenna, is doing a wonderful job being involved in ministry and loving Jesus and I'm believing for my children, I'm believing for my daughters, and I'm believing for my grandchildren. And I, I know that it could get a little scary in this world when we think about the things that are happening all around us. But friend, I want you to know God knows how to keep his children. Hallelujah. God knows how to use his children. See, in every generation, there's a generation or there's a remnant of young people who know their God. That God pulls close to him. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace doth more abound. And I believe the, the more evil our society becomes, the darker our society becomes, I believe the greater the light God is going to shine upon our children. And they're going to be winners and overcomers. And they're going to be champions for God. And they will change their world. And they're going to be influencers. And they're going to be the light in this dark world. And when they face opposition, they won't back down. They won't strike out. They'll get it right. They might not get it right every single time. But they'll get back up when they fall. Come on, somebody say amen. The righteous person may fall seven times. But they will get back again. Listen to me, I know that some people have written off this generation of kids, but I believe that they are a chosen generation of kids. And I believe that God has a Joshua generation that's going to go back and possess the land. You see, in every generation, God does something incredible. And there arose, though, another generation who didn't know God or the mighty miracles of God. They didn't walk with God. They didn't, they didn't see the mighty acts of God. But the Bible tells us in Joel... In the last days, God says, I will pour out of my spirit upon all people, and your sons and your daughters will prophesy. That's my promise. That's what I read over my children, that my sons and daughters, my sons-in-laws, and my daughters, and maybe I'll get a grandson out of this whole thing one day, <laughs> or resort to adoption, I don't know, one way or another, I'm going to get me a grandson. Um, but the Bible tells me that they will, listen to what it says, they will prophesy. You know what that word prophesy means? It means they will preach. They will speak the word of God, and they will see visions. They will see things. They will see in the spirit. They will be discerning. They will be filled with the spirit. I'm praying today for your children that they will be baptized in the power of the spirit. 
I'm praying this morning that they'll be touched by the Spirit. You see, I was just a little boy when the Holy Spirit came upon me and baptized me, and I began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave me utterance. And I saw myself as a child sitting where you're sitting, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I was about 13 years old. The Holy Spirit said, one day you will be up there speaking to hundreds of people. See, they will see visions. They will dream dreams. And they will hear and they will prophesy. That's what the word of God says. In the last days, our children will be filled with the spirit. They will be prophetic. They will be visionaries. And they will be possessors of powerful God dreams in their life. And I'm praying this morning, Father, give us again, Lord, a renewed vision. Give us faith to see and to believe. Give us insight and discipline and courage as mighty warriors to pass on to our children the ability to know how to fight the enemy. See, to believe that once again God will save and fill and empower and set apart and energize and strengthen and call and commission and use our kids in ways that we could only imagine. Remember, Jesus said, suffer not the little ones that come unto me, for such is the kingdom of God. Jesus saying to his disciples, the kingdom of God is made up of people who receive the word of God like a child receives the word of God. You see, we have a window. We have a window. Listen to me very carefully in this church. We have a small window between the ages of 4 and 14 where most children are open to the gospel, where most children will listen and they'll believe. They're going to be taught the word, and they're going to believe it, and they're not going to resist it. Why? Because they have childlike faith. And Jesus said, unless you become like a child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And that's why we've got to get Be Kids ministry right at Bethlehem Assembly of God. We've got to get our children's ministry right We can't afford to get it wrong. We've got to have enough servants. We've got to have enough volunteers. We've got to have enough men and women that love and care, not just about their own children, but create a community of people who take care of our children together because it it takes a community to raise a child. And I thank God that as a child there were people that poured into my life. Jesus said, out of the mouth of babes, God has ordained strength and praise. Listen to me. God wants to raise up a team of young people who will become a dynasty of champions. But it always starts with a call to a spiritual championship team. You see, every team in the major league has what's called a farm team, where they recruit young players where they can see, they can discern, they can envision, they can envision that these kids have something within them that they have this seed of greatness that they could play in the major leagues. And once they can see it, they place them in what's called a farm team. It's the major leagues farm team. It's the A team or the double A team or the triple A team where they can train them, where they can discipline them, where they can help them to get better, where they can give them the oversight and the care that they need on a daily basis so that they can become champions in their life. You know, there were four players on the New York Yankees. They call them the core four. 
And all four of the players were drafted at the same time, and they were originally signed as amateurs to the Yankee farm team in the 1990s. They played together in the minor leagues. They, they learned how to play together in the minor leagues. They learned how to work together in the minor leagues, getting them prepared for the big game. You know, they were uh, important guys on the team all the way until they retired. There's Derek Jeter, there's Andy Pettit, there's Mariano Rivera and, and Jorge Posada. All four of them, they call them the core four, and they played together all through their career. They all made it to the major leagues in 1995, and each of them were key contributors to the Yankees' late 1990s dynasty that won World Series in five years, four World Series in five years. And by the 2007 uh, series or, or season, they were the only remaining Yankees in the franchise dynasty. All four players were on the Yankees' active roster in 2009 when they won the World Series. Now listen to me. Champions are not made overnight. They're made over time. Champions are not made overnight. They're made over time. And I believe that right before us this morning are God's champions. And I believe we must create a farm team where parents along with pastors and coaches and the community of Christians must do everything they can to number one, listen to me, write this down, they must be able to see what God sees in their children. We must be able to see what God sees in our children collectively in this room. The children are with us this morning. Why? Because I want them to know as their senior pastor that God sees a seed of faith inside of you, that God believes that you're special, that God believes that you're important. You know, let me tell you something, children. Don't ever let somebody tell you that you're unimportant, that you can't do it. With God, you can do all things. With God, you're a giant killer because you're a giant, and you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength, and God has a plan for your life, and there's a seed of greatness inside of you, and I want to tell you today that you're going to do great things because you've got a great God who believes in you, who loves you with an everlasting love, and he's got a plan for your life, and it's big. And the truth is that you and I in this room as parents, as pastors, as coaches, we've got to create a farm team. We've got to create a community whereby we work all together to raise up these young people. That's why we have a Christian school. And many of you need to send your children to our Christian school. Why? Because we believe in education and biblical and academic education. We believe that we can raise up champions, one champion, at a time. That's why you got to get involved in Sunday school and you've got to get involved in children's ministry. Why? Because they can't do it all by themselves. We need to be a farm team and we need to be able to see what God sees in other people. You know, while I was in Israel, we actually stumbled on a mustard seed plant and I took the plant with me and I looked at it and I took that little seed out of there and I was reminded that every single person has a seed of greatness on the inside and 
what you do as a parent with that seed of greatness in your child is going to determine their future. If you cultivate that seed, if you speak into that seed, if you pour into that seed, if you give that seed the nutrients of God's word and the nutrients of God's spirit and the nutrients of God's love, that seed's going to grow and that child is going to do great things. That child cannot grow without somebody seeing the potential that they have. And friends, I want you to know, your child knows when you believe in them and your child knows when you don't believe in them. Hallelujah. And you've got to let them know that you see something great and you've got to speak life over that seed. Somebody help me out. Hallelujah. I'm so glad that when I was a kid, I had a Sunday school teacher that saw something in me that I could not see. I had a pastor that saw something. I had a mother that constantly saw something in me that I could not see. And when I was going through difficult times in my life, she believed in me. I remember one time, it was kind of comical, but I loved to play baseball when I was a kid and I was on a team. And I was playing in the outfield. I was playing right field. If you know anything about baseball, it's not the best position in the world. But I was playing right field, and, and the game was on the line, and it was like one of the last innings, and the ball jumped up and hit me in the mouth. I started bleeding. I ran off the field, and I said, I don't want to play this game anymore. And my mother said, you better get back out there and play the game. I went out there, and, and I hit the winning run, and we won the game. Thank God for moms and dads that instill still confidence in the child and then and we speak life into our children and we tell them who they are in Christ somebody help me out and say amen so we've got to be able to see and today that's what I'm praying for in this church is that we can see we can see the potential in our children we can see it so much that we're willing to sacrifice time we're willing to work in the children's ministry we're willing to say you know what I don't need to hear another sermon after sermon after sermon without doing something about it but I'm going to get involved because I can pour into somebody's life why because it's more blessed to give than to receive in the first place number two we must teach them how to play in the big leagues. Listen to me. All of our children are going to face some big issues in their life. And when a father believes in a son and they believe that they can play in the big leagues, he starts to prepare him for the big league right from the beginning. He trains him. He invests in him. He makes the necessary sacrifices. He gets him the coaching he needs. He creates the environment for his son to believe that he can make it in the big leagues. Why? Because in the big leagues, everything is faster. In the big leagues, everything is harder. In the big things, everything is more tempting in the big leagues you've got a lot more to lose everything's much more complicated in the big leagues you might be able to hit it in a double a game but man in the big leagues man that ball goes really quick and if he's going to make it in the big leagues somebody's going to have to get him ready for the big leagues listen to me one day your son or daughter is going to be facing some big league things in life everything's going to come at them a lot faster Listen to me. Everything will be harder to deal with. Everything will be much, have much greater consequences. Everything will be more tempting. Everything will be much more complicated in the big leagues. And now is the time to begin to get them ready for the big league. It's time to get them ready to face the temptations and trials of their life, the complicated decisions that they're going to need to make, the consequences of every decision that they make in their life is going to be so much greater. 
That's why God's word tells us that we're to train up a child in the way he should go. We should pour into them and spend time going over the drills with them, teaching them the player's manual, giving them time and more time and more time, getting them ready for the big league called life. Parents, I know it seems overwhelming, but we only and only us can really prepare our children for the big leagues. Because they're watching you play the big league. You know, they come to church on Sunday, but they're not watching their Sunday school teacher play the big leagues. They're watching you play the big leagues. And every one of our children are going to face some really difficult situations in their life. And I thank God that my mother made me go to church. Now, I know that there, now we've got this generation today that, you know, we say, well, give them a choice to come to church or not. You don't give your child a choice to come to church. You make them come to church. You make them come to church. You make them hear the word of God. You know, I, I, when I was in Israel, I was just so moved. I was so deeply moved. Because on the night of the Shabbat, on Friday night, we went to the Western Wall. And I was so deeply moved and so deeply impressed. Because the fathers brought their children, their sons, to the wall to pray. And they were little. They were little, little boys. And they brought their little boys to the, to the wall to pray. And those little boys pulled out their prayer books and they began to pray and they began to sing hymns. And let me tell you something, there was more life in that, in that place than most churches that I've seen and been in. Because they understand that it's so important to prepare their children for the big league. To prepare their children for life. And they pour into their children because they understand that their children are going to be facing life and they need to know the God of the scriptures. Now, obviously, I don't believe that they're completed. But man, we have much to learn from Judaism. We have much to learn from Judaism that trains, as the Bible says it there, to they're to take the word of God and they're to tie it. They literally tie it on their head and on their hands and they read it day and night as the scriptures tell us that they're to take the scriptures and they're to tie it around their head and around their arms and, and put it in their heart, hiding the scriptures in their heart so that when they're older, they would not sin against the Lord. Thirdly, we must teach them how to be champions in the big leagues, not just to get to the big leagues, but we need to teach our children the basics, how to know God. You know, there's a few things that you do to be a champion. It's the basics. And if you get down the basics, Vince Lombardi said that we need to keep it simple, stupid. He had this sign, and every time the team went out onto the field, they would see the sign that said, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. And they knew the drills. They knew there were certain things that they needed to really get well at, and so they would go over it over and over, the same thing, the simple things, the simple things, the simple things. And baseball has drills. And you just keep on doing it over and over and over again. They hit the ball to you, and you catch it. And there's a certain way that you get down to catch the ball. There's a certain way that you swing the bat. There's a certain way that you run. It's the drills. And we need to teach our children the drills. And the first thing we need to teach our children is to keep their eye on the ball. You keep the, your eye on the ball. I can't tell you how many times my coach would say, Steve, keep your eye on the ball. Because I'd get distracted. I'd get distracted. 
And the, and the one thing that will make you strike out every single time is the ball will whiz right by you as if, if you take your eyes off the ball. So you just keep your eyes. You don't put your eyes on the pitcher. You don't put your eyes on the outfield, the infield. You keep your eye on the ball. And we need to teach our children how to keep their eyes on God. As my mom used to always say, we're to trust in God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. We're to trust in the Lord and lean not on our own understanding, but in all our ways, keep our eyes on God. As the Bible says, God will keep us in perfect peace when our eyes are stayed on him. So we need to teach our children who God is so that they can keep their eyes on God. Listen to me. They need to know God so well that they won't lose focus. And, and when do you do that? You do it when they're young, when they're willing to listen, when they're willing to learn, when they're less distracted. And let me say it again, parents, take away their stuff that distracts them. I can't tell you how many times I see parents allowing their kids to play these things while they're in church. Take it away. Teach them. Discipline them to put it away and listen to the word of God. Keep your eye on the ball. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, of champions, Derek Jeter, Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so eagerly, easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of my faith and your faith. I'm so glad that my mom taught me who Jesus was early in my life because when I was a teenager, I went through some really difficult times, but I knew who Jesus was so that I can fix my eyes back on Jesus no matter what went on in my life. Number two, we must teach them who they are. Listen to me. Once an athlete loses his confidence, it's all over. He can be tremendously gifted. He could be a superstar, but when he goes into a slump because he loses his confidence, you can, you can lob a watermelon at him and he can't hit it because he's lost his confidence. And friend, we need to make sure that our kids never lose their confidence. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want to pray for you right now. And I want to ask that the Lord would give you strength to help your kids to have the confidence that they need. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would help these parents to instill confidence in their children. Lord, I pray that they would help them to believe in themselves, to instill in them every day that they are the apple of God's eye that their children are destined to do great things, that they're more than conquerors, that they're loved by God and accepted by God, not because of the things that they do, but just because of the grace of God in their life. They've been chosen by God, and they are God's masterpiece. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Do the drills every day, the same drills. Throw, catch, run. Thirdly, teach them how to face difficult times in their life. Teach them who their enemy is. Teach them how to fight their enemy. One of the things that a coach does is he puts all the players together in one room and they watch video over and over and over about their opponent. And friend, your child is in a spiritual battle for their life. 
And let me remind you of something. Let me put the fear of God in you today, parent. The devil hates your son or your daughter, and the devil wants to drag their soul to hell. And you're to stand in the gap, and you're to put your praying shoes on. You're, you're, you're to get on your knees before God, and you're to cry out to God and stand in the gap for your children because we are one generation away from extinction, and we are one generation away from revival. I believe God is about to raise up a championship team. I believe there are kids in this room that God wants to do a great work through their life. Would you believe the same thing with me? I said, would you believe the same thing with me? This morning, I've asked Pastor Glenn to come, and he's going to close us out today with all of the parents and the grandparents coming and the children coming together, and we're going to pray for the family and one of the things that I really want to encourage you to do is after the service, Glenn's going to be in the back. He's going to be in the foyer. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, as your pastor, every one of us in this room, we need to volunteer. We need to serve in the children's ministry. So you can come to church and listen to the word and serve in another service. But if we all join together, we can raise up a great dynasty, a championship team but it takes a farm team, and you are all coaches on the farm team. Join in. Help us raise the children to a place where we can leave a lasting generation, a lasting dynasty. Why? Because the truth is, look at me, the truth is it's a matter of their survival. Let me just, let me just be honest with you. We're in a very critical moment in the history of the world. Because the truth is, Christianity, the average age of a Christian is well into their 40s. The average age of a Christian is well into their 40s. The average age of a Muslim is in their 20s. And here's the bottom line. I'm just going to be honest with you. I'm going to lay it out there. Is most Christian families have 1.2 children. Most Muslim families have 8 children. Do you know why? Because the Muslim families believe that the more children they have, the more they'll survive for generations to come. And the more Muslims train their children to love Allah and love Islam, the more Islam will spread across the whole world. Friends, it's a matter of our survival as Christians to not only have children, but to raise them up to be God-fearing, Jesus-loving, Bible-toting, Bible-believing, Bible-embracing young men and women because if we don't, there won't be any championship dynasty. Jesus is going to build his church, but there have been generations that have been lost, not on my watch, not on your watch. Let's do what we have to do to raise up a great generation of champions for God. Come on, somebody say amen. Amen. What a powerful word. Amen. A powerful message. At this time, we're going to call for the families to come up. Bring your children and grandparents also. Just come up. Come on up. Come on. We're going to pray a special prayer today. We're going to pray over your children, your grandchildren, whether they're here or not. Just come on up. God has a plan. Every single one of our children 
God has a plan and a purpose. And it's our prayers. It's our toil. It's our labor that's going to see it through. Praise God. Praise God. I know the plans I have for you. Why don't you just hold your child and whisper a prayer right now. Those plans that I know God has shown you. Pray for your children right now. Going yes, Lord. We thank you. Touch our children, So oh when you can't see what tomorrow holds. We ask for those who are in I have a child that you're just sitting there just pray and to see right now for our children. Oh, we thank you, oh God. want to see our children, oh God, filled with your Holy Spirit. We're interceding right now, God. We're standing in the gap saying, God, change our children's future. What the enemy meant for harm, oh God, turn for good, oh Lord God. As Pastor Steve mentioned, the enemy has a plan for our children's lives, oh God. But, oh, God, we pray differently, oh, God. We pray against those plans, that every plan the enemy has will be destroyed, will be ripped to shreds today, oh, God. Our children will know who they are. Our children will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Our children will be able to face difficulties. Oh, God, help them not to cringe when they hear things, evil reports, oh, God. You can sing, Sister Aracellus. We're praying and we're interceding right now. We're taking this time just to intercede. Oh, God, we thank you. We thank you, oh, Lord. We worship you. Sing again, uh, Sister Aracellus, please. I know the plans I have for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I know struggles today. He sees the things you're going through so when your family, you can't work. see what tomorrow holds. But God still has a plan and, and a future for you and your family. Is through. Remember, I know the plans I have for you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. To give you hope for tomorrow, joy for your sorrow, strength for everything you go through. Give you hope for tomorrow, joy for your sorrow, strength for everything you go through. God's gonna give you hope for tomorrow, joy for your sorrow, strength for everything you go through. Remember, God knows the plans He has. Thank you, Lord. We receive that, Lord God. We receive that promise that, God, you know the plans for our children. Amen. And Pastor Steve just gave me an opportunity just to share the needs of, of children's ministry. And just want to let you know that we are always in need of volunteers. We're in need of, of people just coming and pouring their hearts out in our children's lives. You, you heard the message. Uh, it's either you're going to have more kids if we're going to defeat Islam, if we're going to defeat what, what the enemy has planned, either we're going to have more children or we're going to pour into the children's ministry. 
Amen. Some parents were like, I don't know about that. <laughs> Amen. Some parents got it. Thank you, John. Some parents got that. I was like, I don't know about having any more children, Lord. I'll just, I'll, I'll hang out at Metro Kids, Lord. I, I think we're done, Lord. I think we're done. I, I got that word. I received that. Unless some parents want to have more kids, we, we welcome that too. But for those who are done, we want, we want you to help us out. Amen. On a serious note, we need you just to pour into our young people's lives. We have opportunities to be an assistant teacher. Eventually, you could become a teacher. Um, helping out ushering, greeting. It's a similar service that we have over there, just like this one. But the most important thing is to, to get connected with one or, one or two children and let them become a part of your life. And even if, even if you sign up and say, you know what, all I can do is once a month, it'll make a difference in their life. I shared in the last service, I said, you know, I had a third grade teacher named Miss Herbert. And even though I had a crush on her, I, I, I'll never forget that she was always so nice to me. I remember the times when we would sit in the cafeteria and she would just talk to me. And she, she treated me so special. And I didn't know what it was as a kid. I didn't know what that, that was, um, that she had. Just that power to make me feel special. Not that my parents didn't. My parents did a great job. But when I went to school, you know, I was searching. I was looking. And there was that person outside of my, my home who was able just to make me feel loved. Now, I don't remember all of the lessons she taught. I was probably talking, playing around with my pencils. But I'll never forget the kindness she showed me. And I'll let you know something. Kids never forget that. And I shared earlier, I said, you know what? As adults, sometimes we forget. We forget sometimes the, the kind gestures that we receive. But children never forget. And sometimes they can't express it. So what they'll do sometimes, they'll just run up to me and they'll just give me a big hug. And it was at a, at a time in my life where I would need a hug. I don't know, maybe I'm the only one in here who needs hugs, but amen. Now, I don't want everybody just storming me with hugs now, okay? I'm, I'm not really a hugger, but if one of those little guys run up to me and, and hug me, it fills my tank. And I, and I would say, how did you know I needed a hug? And they just know. I, they just have that gift. So they, they can't pay us the big bucks. Somebody was asking me earlier, dude, why do you get all these volunteers? You pay us? Listen, they give us hugs. They show their appreciation. They smile with us. They make us feel special. Let us know that we are important. That's what the kids do for me, I know. And that's why I hang out with them. They give me life. Now, we have a great team. We have uh, Miss Sharon, who's been there for over 30 years. Amen. Let's, give them, let's praise the Lord. There are times where we tell Miss Sharon, Miss Sharon, go home. Miss Sharon will look at us. I'm not going anywhere. That's why her name is, is, is Shanrock. We call her Shanrock because she's just a rock. And we have uh, John, John Tastic, who was up here earlier. Just an amazing person. And we have Gabulous, who, listen, who's in the nursery. So maybe you want to work with little guys. The opportunity to create a dynasty, to, to change other people's lives, uh, the young life. Uh, plant a seed. We also have Friday night ministry. I failed to mention it last service, but we have Royal Rangers. I want to let you know something, guys. If we want to pour into our young men, the, the Royal Rangers program is a discipleship program. They're earning merits, but they're learning the word of God. Metro kids, we're teaching them the word of God. I know adults need the word of God, but as Pastor Steve said, some of us are a little out of shape when it comes to the word. Amen. <clears throat> I know. But we need to get back into shape. And you may be looking for an opportunity. Oh, I want to preach up here. Pastor Steve is not going anywhere. <laughs> the other day I was sitting with Pastor Steve. Pastor Steve said he's going to be here until he's seven years old. So if you're looking to preach up here, it's, it's not going to happen. But if you want to preach to some young kids, 
there are, there, are more, there are more than enough opportunities to go over to MMC and share the word of God. And, and you're going to plant a seed in these young children. Like one day they're going to be fathers. One day they're going to be mothers. One day they're going to be nurses and doctors. And when they're a nurse or a doctor, they'll run up to you and say, hey, thank you for that Sunday school class. Thank you for going with me on my ranger trip. Thank you for going with me to girls' ministry. Thank you for going, um, being a part of my life. They'll never forget you. So we have Friday nights. We have Wednesday night. We have Sunday. Amen. Um, our Metro kids, no longer Metro kids, we're, we're Bethlehem kids. There's so much opportunities for everybody in this room. And I, and I say this, I say that if in order, the, the, the model I live by or, or the mission, my personal mission, I say, you know what, if we're going to change this world, we're going to change our future, it has to be through the children. I know some of us think that we're the next Billy Graham. I, I, wanna, I have news for you. It's more likely that these little guys right here, maybe Albert would be the next Billy Graham. I think he's going to be a senator, but because he's always talking law and he's always right and wrong. He just, he always wears his bow tie. I think he may be a, a senator or something. But if we're going to change our future, it has to be through the children. They're our hope, guys. They're our hope and in, in, in our future. You know, Jeremiah 29 says, I, have, I know the plans I have for your hope in the future. God is speaking of us pouring into our children's lives. Grandparents, you're not too old. So when I see you next Sunday and I'm greeting you, please don't tell me, oh, I would go, but I'm, I'm old. I'm old too. I feel it in my legs. I feel it. But I say, you know what? I'm going to press on. I can't move like Johnny, John Tastic. That, that guy's amazing. I can't move like him. I can't move like Gabalus, but you know what? I can give a kid a hug. I can say, hey, how you doing? I can't catch as good as Pastor Steve, but I can still try to catch, and the kids will appreciate that. You see, as adults, we can see each other's faults. Children don't see. They just say, I love you. Thank you for being here. And you're not going to be appreciated anywhere else more than at the children's ministry. Amen. I know. I know. I know. All right. All right, Mr. Recruiter. But... I want to let you know, being a part of children's ministry has changed my life. Don't be, I don't want to say this word, but don't be selfish and come here Sunday after Sunday and not give back. Don't be selfish and, and just do things you want to do. Get out of your comfort zone, you know. I'm not a great speaker, and, I'm, and Pastor Steve said, I want Glenn up here. And I'm like, God, Why? <laughs> Couldn't he find a different person to promote this thing? Because I'm I feel like I don't have great words. I'm not a person, I don't feel all of that. But I said I have to be up here. Why? Because we need help. We need men. Not just to shake my hand on a Friday, going, hey brother, you're doing a great job. No, we need you in there on a Friday in the gym hanging out with our young men. Because they need mentorship. Mr. Glenn, uh, who's my other guy? Chris Mackay. I don't know if he's in this service. Senior commander, Chris, Chris McKay on a Friday night runs like a chicken without a head sometimes. And I'm looking at this young man. I'm saying, what an amazing man of God. And just always the right attitude. Even when there's not enough volunteers, just his spirit is right. And I said, God, thank you for him. Miss Maddie is here. And sometimes her neck is hurting her. Her back, my heart aches. Sometimes she, she wants to go away and she can't. She says, no, I have to be here for girls ministries. And I say, Maddie, go with your family. She says, nope. That's her, that's her attitude. Nope. I got you, Maddie. Nope. I got to be with my girls. Once a month, guys, 
maybe you're good with paperwork. Come out. So you know what? I'll help you with, with the paperwork. Something. I'll, what can I do to help? And that's what we're asking for, guys. Once a month. Everybody here can give once a month to change a child's life. Amen. Amen. We're going to pray. And then we're going to turn it to Pastor Steve. Dear Lord, we thank you for that powerful word from Pastor Steve. We thank you, oh God, for that word from Sister Aracellus, knowing the plans of God from Jeremiah 29. We thank you, Lord. You know the plans, oh God, so we look to you. We need help. We want to see our children changed, oh Lord God. We want to see them transform one child at a time. And for that to happen, we need volunteers to say, I'm going to focus on these two children. Those are my babies until you tell me otherwise, Lord. We need mentors who come in on a Friday and say, I'm going to pour into these young men's lives. They may not have a father at home, but I'm, I'm going to fill that void. We need young women who say, you know what? An older woman who's going to, I'm going to come out on a Friday night. I know I'd rather watch my show and take off my shoes. And I had a long weekend, but no, I had a long week. But no, Lord, I'm going to sacrifice this time so that I can make a difference in someone else's life. God, we pray that they've heard our cry, Lord God. And we're praying for an awesome response, oh Lord. And, and strength to do what you've called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Praise the Lord.